So did you watch the World Cup game today? It had been since 1986 that the men's team hadn't played in a World Cup. To give you an idea of how long ago that was, Canada played against the Soviet Union the last time we were in a World Cup in Mexico back in uh, back in 86. Unfortunately, back then we didn't win a game and we didn't score a goal. We went home after the opening round, after three matches. Today was a much better performance, but we didn't score a goal and we didn't win the game. So uh, that, that streak continues. We could have. We could have. Alfonso Davies is probably the most recognizable star on our team. He plays for Bayern Munich, one of Europe's biggest teams. Um, he had a penalty opportunity today that he missed, unfortunately. But he really is sort of the heartbeat of the team in many ways. Uh, and certainly the most recognizable player to an international audience who know him well. What's amazing about his story, what's amazing about a lot of stories on Team Canada is that so much like the France team that wowed in 1998 was such a reflection of a modern France, the Canadian team that's in Qatar right now is such a reflection of a modern Canada from all over the world, from the Caribbean to Colombia, Ghana and the Ivory Coast, Serbia and Scotland, you name it. And Alfonso Davies' story is perhaps one of the most interesting ones. To top it all off, he actually was raised in Edmonton. Not a place where one thinks of, you know, a lot. I I mean, I actually lived in Edmonton as a kid and did play soccer and have vague memories of just how cold it was, even in, say, June. Whereas, you know, out here in Victoria, you can play soccer pretty much from February on. So to talk about soccer and much, much more, what better place to head than the place that raised a soccer superstar, Edmonton. Dave Breckenridge is with us. He's the editor of the Edmonton Journal and Edmonton Sun, host of the 10-3 podcast. Welcome back. Thanks. No problem, Ben. It must have been a big day, I gather. I was reading about sort of gathering parties and people getting together to watch Alfonso and the team in their first big match on the sports' biggest stage to some extent. Yeah, I, and I have to admit, I feel pretty bad. I was stuck in a meeting at noon oh, when, when kickoff was happening. I missed the first half of the game. But as, you know, as you can expect, in any, during any World Cup, you will see bars packed with soccer fans Except this time around, and I mean, as a young reporter, I covered uh, rabid fans of teams uh, during Euro other, 2004 other yeah. and the World yeah. Cup. And yeah. but for once, it's Canadian fans, and I loved one of the 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 main image on the Edmonton Journal tomorrow is is of fans at a local Edmonton bar in Canada jerseys, and you know looking distraught a little bit because the outcome wasn't what we had hoped, but it, you know, it is the kind of thing that people are really rallying around uh, the, the fact that, that Canada has a team and has a competitive team, even if they may not stand to, to win the whole tournament, they are a better team than they were 36 years ago. Oh, they are. I mean, even the BBC today spoke of just how uh, impressed they were with a BBC reporter, but how impressed they were with the way Canada played, sort of on the front foot, attacking. Brave is the word they often use. Now, you, I mean, Edmonton has a really close connection to this team because there is no more recognizable player on that team than Alfonso Davies. And he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's Edmonton's, is he not? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is, as you were, you were mentioning off the top, it is a very, the team is very reflective of modern Canada. Alfonso Davies, reflective of a modern Canada and reflective of, of a story that's very common in Edmonton. I mean, we, Canada is a, a nation that welcomes many people uh, from who are refugees. And, and as many know now, he, Alfonso Davies was born in a refugee camp in Ghana. 
His parents had fled civil war in Liberia, came to Canada when he was five years old, but he was raised here. He started playing soccer here through a program that has really exploded. It's called Free Play. I can't remember what it was called at the time. I think it may have had a more specific soccer name, but it's a it's a way for kids who, who may not otherwise have the means get involved in sport. Uh, they've expanded from soccer to all sorts of sports, basketball, hockey, um, I believe even football now. Um, and And he through that was able to pick up the game and then he played soccer for a local uh, Catholic school that had a soccer program and, and really developed his skills there. And then as a teenager, he was, he, you know, at 15 years old, we're talking about, you know, I have a son who's almost 15 years old and, and this isn't a knock against my son. He's bright, creative and funny, but at 15 years old, Davies signed a, a, a contract with the Vancouver Whitecaps. He was the That's third right. youngest in history to sign a deal at that level. It's just mind-boggling, right? And it's it's astounding. And so to see him rise from from pretty meager beginnings to to this level, and to be an international superstar at such a young age is, is quite astounding. It's something that people here at Edmonton are very proud of. Yeah, I mean, you have Connor McDavid and Alfonso Davies to brag about. So that's uh, those are two of the most exciting people in sport, let alone soccer or hockey. That's true. I mean, the Oilers can't buy a win right now, so, true. <laughs> so let's. Let's not get too excited, but yes, yeah, we it won't is, talk about definitely that. Definitely exciting time for sports in Edmonton. No, that's and it's great that Canadians. You're right because all those years I did the same stories. You'd be watching the European Cup or the World Cup, and you'd be looking through. You're like, where should we go? I wonder where the Greek community is hanging out for the 2004 European Cup, or you know, when Portugal mm-hmm. won. It was always um, someone celebrating someone else's success, and it's interesting to see uh, Canada there this year and, and celebrating along. Speaking of battles. Um, Danielle Smith, uh, your premier, Alberta's premier, made her first sort of televised address. The pre-recorded televised address is always an interesting one because you're always thinking, is it serious enough for it to be a televised address or she just, should she just have a press conference? Uh, she announced some money, quite a lot of money, and uh, picked up picture fight with Ottawa once again. Here's what she had to say. In about a week's time, our government will introduce the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. This legislation is designed to be a constitutional shield to protect Albertans so that when Ottawa implements a policy or law attacking our economy or provincial rights, our government will not enforce these unconstitutional measures in Alberta. And um, MP Randy Bosino, who's uh, obviously a Liberal MP from Alberta, had this to say in reply. To cherry pick the laws of the nation that apply or don't apply in the provincial context is not how the rule of law works. It's not how Canada was built. I mean, we have a country built on peace, order, and good government. And so this is an attack on Canadian unity. So it was an interesting, I mean, I thought she communicated it quite well. It was a bit scattered in the sense that the money part made sense. I guess there's been a lot of talk about that today. Wasn't quite sure why she needed to bring in the Alberta sovereignty stuff, as well as, you know, maybe some of the healthcare stuff. But what was the reaction today to which, uh, what Premier Smith had to say last night? Um, I mean, a lot of the reaction admittedly was focused on, on health care and on money. And as you mentioned, it was quite a lot of money, $2.4 billion affordability package, uh, inflation relief is, as it's being called. Um, I think the big ticket item for many Albertans is, is $600 payouts for right. um each senior or each child under 18 in households with a yearly income less than $180,000. That's a lot of people. There's been a lot lot of of criticism. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is a lot of people, but there's a lot of criticism in Alberta today from people who say, well, 
I'm a low income single person and I could use $600 and why don't I get $600? Um, admittedly, you know, cash payments will be given to those getting, uh, a that's called the Alberta income for the severely handicapped and persons with developmental disabilities payments. Um, they're also going to roll back the 4.5% gas tax that they brought back in earlier this year. Um, it'll be eliminated for another six months. So, I mean, a lot of the reaction, I, I, I get, <laughs> I get Randy Boissonneau's comments, and I can understand why the federal MPs are kind of picking up on that as, as, uh, as a point of criticism. It, it's the kind of thing I was surprised that it was in there because she's talked so much about the Sovereignty Act. She's talk, I mean, it, yes, it has a new name. It and does. maybe the new name is meant to soften. It originally was called the Alberta Sovereignty Act, and now it's called yes. Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. Yeah, I, I was and, joking with someone today. It sounds better in French. You know, that's the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, we we got you know we we got the same the same poorly named um, thing earlier a couple years ago when NAFTA was renamed USMACA. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. But I mean, it, it is one of those things that, that I think a lot of people are wondering what, where she's going to go with the Sovereignty Act within a United Sovereignty within a United Canada Act. The new name, I think she's getting the sense that a lot of people feel that it, as you know, as Randy Boissonneau said, like it's a it's an attack on on Confederation. And she's she's I think has a lot of um political gymnastics to do to to sell it to her base and people that are fed up with Ottawa while still soft pedaling it enough that people who are worried about, you know, people maybe who may want to do business in Alberta may worry about what this kind of law, what this kind of bill means. And I think she has to to assuage some fears a little bit. Yeah, I noticed she had a nice Canadian flag behind her last night, though. Yes, she she sure did. I I mean I can't imagine that that was by accident. I know, <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned the flag because a couple of days ago there was a there was a video going around of her talking about, I believe it was health spending accounts and healthcare and stuff, and people were pointing right. out that behind her there was a uh, "Don't Tread on Me" flag, which is a very much something that's used in some circles by the far right and some circles by libertarians as a way like the government get off my back. And this time around in the premier's office. Thank goodness she doesn't have one of those flags, but I, that certainly wasn't there by accident. Yeah, that was quite a bit of spending for a libertarian premier, though, wasn't it? I mean, it sounds like if the NDP had done it, I can't imagine the criticism that would have come out. Oh, and and you know, to be people have pointed out if if Justin Trudeau all of a sudden unleashed that kind of spending, the likes of politicians like Daniel Smith would be turning around howling. Um, I, you know, I, there's been some people who said that you, some economists are saying this is a, a decent way to weather inflation, but it's like kind of the whole package, right? Is you, you have a bit of cash. So people have some, some money in their pocket. You have the gas tax rebate. So people are paying less at the pump. So they're, you know, giving a sense that, that things may be getting better. It's a, it's a, it's a boost, but I, I mean, on the flip side of it, the, there were some good things in that announcement there, you know, the province yeah. announced it's going to support food banks. It's going to expand low income transit passes. These are positive things, but you know, as, as you mentioned off the top, could this, could this have been done at a press conference or, you know, the old adage could, could this meeting have been an email? Did we need to have 10 minutes of airtime during the evening news for her to roll out these things and i you know it's i think 
it's a, I think it's the kind of thing a big spend like that makes sense that the government would get the message out in that way. I mean, as a member of the media, it would have been nice to ask questions after the fact and, and to have that kind of that that back and forth of a press conference to, to get to the bottom of this. But, um, you know, it's 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 certainly not unprecedented. In, in no, Alberta. no. A premier's privilege to do something like that, obviously. And then weather the storm if there is one. We've known for many years uh, that uh, there are uh, consistent engagements by uh, representatives of the Chinese government into uh, Canadian communities with local media, uh, reports of uh, illicit uh, Chinese police stations. These are all things that we continue to be concerned about, that our officials uh, stay active on. Justin Trudeau in the House of Commons today. This was the first time he was back for question period since his encounter with Xi Jinping. His two encounters with Xi Jinping at the G20, the one that he planned and the one that uh, Xi Jinping cornered him on. Um, We still don't know. Sam Cooper of Global put out this report now a few weeks ago now that talked about interference in the 2019 election, that 11 candidates have been given funds uh, ostensibly, allegedly, through China. We don't know who the 11 candidates were. We still don't. This has been a weird story, uh, Dave, because the prime minister keeps changing his, it feels like he keeps changing his story on what he knew and when he knew it. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's nothing new for this prime minister. I know during the SNC-Lavalin affair, there were lots of, you know, he didn't know um, his office had nothing to do with what was going on. Um, he, you know, he denied the Global Mail's initial reporting on that scandal. Um, there's also claims that he didn't know about the nature uh, of what was going on with the Chief of Defense Staff General Jonathan Vance, despite right. there were emails from his own staff characterizing those incidents as sexual misconduct, right? This is, <laughs> it, you know, as, as a, in the last segment, we talked about televised addresses uh, or, or old news, old hat for Alberta premiers. Saying he didn't know what was going on in his own house seems to be old hat for this prime minister. And and as my post media colleague uh, Sabrina Matto says in a, in a recent column, she's it's a serious matter to suggest that he's lying or may have been lying, but it's one of few logical conclusions here with the prime minister, right? Well, yeah, because what he said is uh, he replied. He, there was a response to the Sam Cooper report saying, you know, is yes, we're aware of, you know, allegations such as these. Uh, and then there was the encounter with Xi Jinping ostensibly to talk to him about interference. We don't know exactly what he said. Uh, then Xi Jinping gave him a hard time for bringing it, for making it public, essentially, which was totally legit. I think that was just bad bullying on Xi's part. But and then all of a sudden he's like, well, we didn't really, you know, I was never really briefed on this. I guess. The, the outstanding question right now that everyone wants to know, who were the 11 candidates and what impact did it have? Yeah, I mean, did did all of the candidates win? Did, you know, were all of these, like this funding, was it successful? Was it, at the end of the day, right, you know, candidates donate, candidates accept donations as part of their, as part of the political process. It costs money to, to run campaigns. And, and we hope that, you know, candidates aren't necessarily beholden to their donors, but we also don't necessarily want foreign interference in our election in the form of donations. We don't want moneyed interests from any country donating to our in our electoral process. And we certainly don't want money coming from, you know, arguably uh, uh, one of the not a friend, not one a friendly nation, not a friendly nation, right? One of the, no. one of the potentially, you know, 
potentially dangerous regimes in the in the world uh, getting a hand in our elections. But this isn't necessarily the first time China has been involved in our electoral process anyway. You know, I know this talks about the 2019 election and the 2021 election. There was uh, a misinformation campaign uh, that was targeting uh, conservative MP Kenny, Kenny Chu, I believe, out, right. out in BC, mm-hmm. um, because he was pushing legislation that would bar... Chinese or foreign involvement anyway, but ostensibly targeting China would would bar their involvement or their ability to be involved in our electoral process. And and he lost his seat in 2021. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions still to be answered here. Dave Breckenridge, I hope you get to watch the entire game on Sunday uh, when Alfonso Davies and the rest of Team Canada play Croatia. Thanks so much for your time, as always. Not a problem, Ben.